Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to 1 Chronicles chapter 17. We'll probably back up a little bit in, in chapter 16 tonight. But as we take a look, I just want to remind you where we've been the last couple of Wednesdays. We've been bringing in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant um, was a representation of the presence of God for the children of Israel. That's where God was. Where they saw Him once a year on Yom Kippur, when they would make that offering, the Lord said, I'll meet you between the cherubim. Remember on the Ark of the Covenant, there are two cherubim facing each other, their wings touching. The blood would be sprinkled right there, right at that place. That's why it became known as the mercy seat. You have actually two pieces of furniture, the Ark, the box, and the mercy seat, hilasterion in the Greek, the propitiation. In fact, the scripture tells us in the New Testament that Jesus Christ is our propitiation. He is the mercy seat. He's the mercy of God. Been interesting because the last, I don't know, few days, week maybe, I've been looking at a lot of stuff in regard to the fear of God and and as I look at it and as I study it and as I pour through the different places that we find the fear of God in the scripture, I do come to an interesting conclusion. Everybody who saw God face to face reacted the same way. Nobody who saw God face to face gave him a piece of their mind. Nobody who saw God face to face really had anything to say except for this phrase, woe is me. And if they kept talking, the next phrase was, I am undone. Because when you come into the presence of a holy, perfect, just God, all that I think we are aware of is our unholiness, our injustice, our sin. And we realize that we now are in the presence of the one who has the right to judge. And we don't deserve anything from him. That's how everybody met him. They met him like, oh no. I don't know what I thought this was going to be like, but it wasn't this. Fear overwhelming fear pretty incredible concept isn't it I always love the next thing God says to him though he says don't be afraid I am the one to judge but I am offering grace A person who truly understands their sinfulness in light of a holy God can never take for granted the things God's done for them. They can't haphazardly move through worship because the fear of the Lord has gripped their heart and they recognize and realize that beauty of his majesty if really there's any sickness in church today I think it starts with the loss of those things I mean believe me there's a lot of characteristics to God we could spend a long time studying those characteristics but one doesn't outweigh another do we see him that way David so filled with the fear of God when Uzzah, remember when Uzzah touched the ark and he died? That he stopped everything, didn't do anything else until he figured out what was wrong. Poured himself over to scriptures three months until he found, oh, here's what we did wrong. Here's what was wrong. He sought the Lord for that period of time. He went after the Lord with his whole heart and miraculously God met him in that place. Gave him directions and he moved the ark. 
when he considered the beauty and the majesty of God, what was he willing to do to glorify the Lord? You think about it? Remember we talked about it two weeks ago. When, when there are some teachers who believe that he sacrificed every six steps. So whatever the journey was, a few miles, how hectic does that make it? Pretty hectic, right? What does that cost? Pretty costly, isn't it? What does that require of him? See, his view of God was, he valued that, that relationship with the Lord so much that he was willing to go every six steps and sacrifice another bull. Is, is that our view of God? Is that how we see him? He has so much value that there's nothing we wouldn't do for him. Even every six steps. David was king. Everybody thought he was the top guy, you know, the big cheese. But what did he do? He took off all his royal robes. And he danced before the Lord with all his might. I love what he said to Michael. Because when he gets home, Michael, his wife, says, Well, didn't you just make a, a spectacle of yourself? Playing the fool before the people, taking off your royal robes and dancing with all your might. And David said, I will be more undignified than this. Are you willing to be more undignified for him? Or do we worry a lot about what other people think when they see us? Or what they, what they, how they might take our stand for the Lord? Last week we took a look at chapter 16 and we saw this praise this psalm made up really of a couple of other psalms that David put together as he magnifies the name of the Lord. He could not be silent. He had to magnify God's name. He had to do whatever it took to glorify Him. That was the heart of a man after God who sought the Lord for answer, who the Lord gave answers to. And so he praised. He praised. Is that indicative of our heart? When given the opportunity to praise God, do we praise Him? It has nothing to do with singing. That's just our tradition. Do you praise God? Do you praise Him on the heights and do you praise Him in the depths? Or is it only if He meets you our way that we are able to praise? David praised. But then I want you to see what he did in verse 37 of chapter 16. In verse 37, he finishes his song. The people all say, Amen, so be it. Look at verse 37. So he left Asaph and his brothers there before the ark of the covenant of the Lord to minister before the ark regularly as every day's work required. Do you get that David told Asaph and his brothers, who are responsible for many of the Psalms we read in the book of Psalms, he said, it is required of you to praise the Lord every day. Did you catch that? Every single day. Praising Him. Every single day. Glorifying the Lord. Every single day. Not Sunday. Not Wednesday. Not Saturday. Not a special day here or there. He said, as every day required. Isn't that what it said? To minister before the ark, which is the presence of God. To minister before the presence of God regularly as every day's work allowed. Is that what it says? Required. Required. That's different altogether, isn't it? It required. If we're going to be in the right place with the Lord, David said, then we got to be in his presence every day well, that's every day there's no days off there's no you know I was too busy today to be in the presence of God it's every day otherwise something else has become God hasn't it if something else takes precedent they were in his presence every day it says in Obed-Edom with his 68 brethren, including Obed-Edom, the son of Jeduthun, and Hosa, to be gatekeepers. Those guys had a job of being the doorkeeper in the house of God. The doorkeeper to let people into the place where they could worship. 
And they were stoked for it. You see that name, Jeduthun? Jeduthun. He wrote Psalm 39, Psalm 62, and Psalm 77. Feel free to peruse. He was a doorkeeper at the place of worship of God. Zadok the priest and his brethren the priest before the tabernacle of the Lord at the high place that was in Gibeon. So the high place, the place where they would gather to worship in Gibeon. To offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering regularly morning and evening. How often did they celebrate their consecration to God? Twice a day. Morning and evening. They made sure that that they spent time with the Lord to say, I'm yours. I'm yours. Because if we don't do that, if we don't start our day and end our day with that idea, what happens? You tell me. If we don't start our day and end our day with our consecration to the Lord, what happens? You end up two-thirds of the way through your day and you realize, I haven't prayed once. I haven't called on the name of the Lord once. I haven't been walking around with eyes open for opportunity to be God's witness today. I haven't done any of those things. Because I didn't consecrate myself in the morning and the evening. That's what they did. Consecration every day. That's what the burnt offering was all about. I'm yours. God, I'm yours. And to do according to all that is written in the law of the Lord, which he commanded Israel. To obey his word. To be obedient to God's word. And with them, Heman and Jeduthun and the rest who were chosen, who were designated by name. What was their job? To give thanks to the Lord because his mercy endures forever. They had guys whose job it was to thank God. To just... Be in God's presence and give Him thanks. Thank you. I don't really know what to thank God for. I don't know. Another day above ground. The ability to feel the warm sun on your face. Cool breeze. Cool you off a little bit. The fact that when the sun goes down, the heat goes away. There's always something to praise God for. They were thanking God. And with them, Heman and Jeduthun, to sound aloud with trumpets and cymbals and the musical instruments of God. And the sons of Jeduthun were, je- were gatekeepers. And all the people departed, every man to his house. And David returned to bless his house. David went home. And he set it up that that's how they would worship. He set it up that this is what they would do. He gave the example to all the people that he would be more undignified than a king taking off his royal robes and looking like a commoner and praising God with hands raised and dancing with all his might. Don't lose sight of that. And don't try to doctor it up or church it up either. The scripture is very clear. David danced with all his might. What's that look like? He was so in awe of God that there was not anything he wouldn't do. That's pretty incredible, right? So when we study the man after God's own heart, let's not lose sight of what he looked like. Because we come to chapter 17 and we see something else about David. Something else that the scripture lays out for us. It said in, in chapter 17, Now it came to pass when David was dwelling in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, See, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under tent curtains. He says, man, I, I got a pretty cool place. I got pretty slick gardens. I got beautiful grounds. I got all this. But the symbol of the presence of God just lives in that dirty old tent out back. Man, David cared. God didn't tell him, build me a house, right? God's going to talk about that in a minute. But David's heart cared about how that tent was represented 
represented to the other nations around them. I want you to picture what it was like in Middle Eastern lands during this time. In a Middle Eastern land, the two greatest buildings in a country was the palace of the king and the temple of their god. Do you guys get that? And the temple of the god was really the ruler of the land and his representation on earth was the king. That's Middle Eastern thought. Are you guys with me? So all the other countries, that's how, they, that's how their places are done. And then you come to Jerusalem, and you got this killer palace built for David on the, on the city of David. It's an amazing place, and all these cool things all around it. And then up the hill a little ways is this dirty goat hair tent. Well, that was, that was God's house. And David was thinking, man, all these pagans, they build incredible places for their God, and I want to honor God that way. Do we think about that? Do we think about wanting to honor God so that when other people see the way we represent Him, that they are seeing an accurate depiction of our value of God. The reason God didn't tell him to do that is pretty simple. In Isaiah, the scripture says, there is nor no form or comeliness that you should desire him. Who was it talking about? Jesus. Was there anything special about the way he looked? said when you looked at him the prince of God the Mashiach the anointed one the Messiah the Greek word for that is Christ when you see him there will be nothing special about him you walked up to the tabernacle and the outside of the tabernacle was just covered with dirty goat hair nothing special about it Do you know what happened when you walked inside? There was gold everywhere. Every wall. The the actual veils and things and curtains on the inside were actually sewn with gold as a part of the thread. Scarlet, gold, blue, white. was breathtaking on the inside. But from the outside... Nothing special. See, when God gave Moses the plans for the tabernacle, the tabernacle is Christ. It's a picture of Christ. How many doors to the tabernacle? One. What did Jesus say? I am what? I'm the door, right? Didn't he say that? I'm the door? Did he say, I am the only way to the Father? No man comes to the Father except how? Through me, right? So he's saying to everyone, I'm the door. Do you know every single door? The door leading into the courtyard, the door leading into the tent of the tabernacle of meeting, and the door that was the veil that went to the Holy of Holies. You know every single one of them was made the exact same way. Same material. Very same material. Because every door was the same. The door is Christ. He's the way in. Isn't he? You look at Jesus from the outside. You don't have a relationship with Christ. And you look from the outside. It just looks like dirty goat hair tent. What's the big deal? But you have a relationship with Christ and you come inside. Is it different in there? Is your relationship with Christ different? Inside, the gold which speaks of his deity. But the gold was overlaid over what? Wood. That speaks of humanity. Humanity covered with deity. The great mystery of Genesis 3.15. The proto-evangelicum, the seed of the woman. Destroying the head of the serpent. The promise of God. Becoming the sacrifice of Abraham in Genesis 22. 
All those things were spoken of by that tent. So God had a perfect picture of who Christ is. Well, let me say it to you this way. That tent is a perfect picture of Christ's first coming. The temple. That's something altogether different. When Jesus comes again, there will be no wondering of his majesty, his beauty, and his power. Just like there was no wondering when they saw the temple. David is the one who said, man, I want to build that for God. I want to make something amazing for him. I want to I do something special for the Lord. This was his heart, man. He had a relentless pursuit after the heart of God. He's sitting around thinking, what else can I do for the Lord? I know, I'll build him a house. I want to have that attitude that says, what else could I be doing for the Lord right now? What else could I be doing? Look, physically, maybe I can't do another thing, but I could always offer another prayer, couldn't I? A relentless pursuit of God. I love that. Man, God, I want to build you a house. I want to build you a house. So Nathan the prophet, it says in verse 2, he said, well, do whatever's in your heart, for God is with you. Nathan, he helps us understand that we should never just answer somebody without having spent some time in prayer seeking the Lord. Nathan looks at David and says, David, you're a man after God's own heart. Do whatever you think you ought to do. Right? Hey, it seems like a good plan. But you know, God never rebukes him. He just tells him scripture says in verse 3 that nathan goes home and it happened that night that the word of god came to nathan how did the word of god come to nathan we always think everything happens so supernaturally maybe it did maybe god appeared to nathan and talked to him maybe nathan was sitting down reading scripture and the lord spoke to him through the scripture he was reading you don't think maybe all i know is a word of the lord came to nathan that oops david can't build god a house he can't build him a house look at all that the lord delivers to him look at all that god tells him go and tell my servant david thus says the lord you will not build me a house to dwell in for I have not dwelt in a house since the time I brought up Israel even to this day, but have gone from tent to tent, from one tabernacle to another. Literally, he said, from one dwelling place to another dwelling place. I went from one dwelling place to another dwelling place. I went from one tabernacle to another tabernacle. And the word became flesh, the scripture says, and tabernacled with us God said I'm 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 happy to live in a tent why it was a picture of Jesus Christ when Jesus came in John chapter 1 it says and the word became flesh and dwelt among them that word for dwelt is the word tabernacle he tabernacled he put up his tent with us if you will in our vernacular he walked in our shoes you get it? God said, I don't need a house, man. I, I, I'm good in a tent from one tent to another. Why? How did God's people live? Until they came to Jerusalem, until they conquered the land, how did they live? Nomads moving from place to place in a tent. So how did God live? In the, if, he want, if God wants to be in their midst, how does he get in their midst? Lives with them the same way they live. Don't he? So what does that say? If God wants to be in your midst, how's he going to do it? Well, he's going to take his son from the heavens. He's going to put on flesh and he's going to walk in your midst. Wearing the same flesh you wear. And showing us the way. You know, there was a woman one time who had a husband who wouldn't go to church. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that being a woman whose husband won't go to church for probably, I don't know how many years, five, seven years, Kathy would go to church alone and I'd stay home and watch football because football's on Sunday. So, and 
if the Rams were playing, it was all over, man. I was going to be watching the Rams, and that's just how it was going to be for years and years and years. And she, for years and years and years, would pray. And today, wow, how things have changed. Miraculous. I heard a story one time of a man who wouldn't go to church, and his wife went to church. And one Christmas, uh, she was going to Christmas Eve service, and she asked him, you know, you want to come? But like he always said, no, I I don't want to go, I don't want to go. He really wasn't into that whole religion thing and don't get the idea, so... So he said, no, I'm just going to stay home. And so she went to church. And she's at church, and it's snowing outside and a little bit stormy. he got this big killer fire going in the fireplace. And he's just kicking back, enjoying the night. And he keeps hearing this thud. And then a couple minutes later, he'd hear it again. Thud. What in the world is that? So he gets up, and he starts looking around, and he notices there's this bird There's this bird outside the window that sees the light and the fire and is trying to get inside. And it keeps flying into the window. Thud. Knocks itself silly. Falls down to the ground. I used to think this was the dumbest story ever. That would never happen until I moved to Idaho. And yeah, that happens. I had a stupid red-breasted robin, I'm thinking is what it was, but I don't know. It had a big red chest. And that thing for three days banged its stupid head against my window about every five seconds all day long I went outside try to chase it away at a broom and it fly up a little higher in the tree and I think that's ah, fine now it's done and I'd go in the house and sure enough bang bang so I understand how the guy in the story feels because that becomes a little incessant and it makes you crazy. And so he did the same thing. He grabbed the broom and he went outside and tried to shush it away. Wouldn't shush away. He said, well, maybe it wants to get into the light and into the warmth. So he went and opened his barn, opened the doors in his barn, lit a lantern, hung lantern so the light was there in the barn. And he went back in the house. And as he went back in the house and sat in the house, what did he hear? Bam. Bam, the bird banging its head on the glass trying to get in. Nothing he did would ever make that bird change, do anything different. And he sat there on that couch and he said, Man, you know the only way that I could really get this bird to understand what it's doing wrong is if I could become a bird and I could fly out there and I could speak its language and I could tell it show it the way I could stand in front of it and I could fly back over to the barn and it could follow me and then it would know it wouldn't be afraid of me it wouldn't be afraid of all that stuff it would just follow me and I could show it the way and that night he understood why God had to come in the flesh to lead a bunch of really bright birds the right way to help us find our way that's what God did that's who Jesus is we see God we react the same way as everyone else I promise you the Bible is clear every one of us in this room will have our moment before almighty God and it will not be about telling him a thing or two it'll be about oh Lord almighty I am undone Because I know my sin. It will be that until we hear God say, Don't be afraid. Fear not. I am with you. My son, (laughs) he has covered you with his robe. Come on in. And open the door and let us in. That was the picture. That was the point. That was the plan of the whole tabernacle. In verse 6, he said, Whenever I moved about with all Israel, have I ever spoken word to any of the judges of Israel that I asked to shepherd my people, saying, Why haven't you built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus says, or now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, 
from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. He says, David, remember where you came from. We always got to remember that. We are sinners in the hands of a God who hates sin. Do you get that? I don't mean just mildly dislikes it or has a few problems with a few things that we don't quite understand. He abhors it. He hates it. Proverbs chapter 6, right? These six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. He hates sin. We've got to remember who we are. David, you were a little boy tending sheep when I called you. Wasn't David that made himself great? It wasn't David's attitudes that made him great. It was God working in David. So if it is God working in David that made David great, what separates you from David? Does God work in you? The Lord declared in the book of Corinthians that your body is the temple of God. So the same God who worked in David, he doesn't work in you. He's not in your heart. He's not in your life. The same power that he gave him, he he doesn't have for you. The power to praise, the power to seek after God, the power to be a man or woman after God's own heart, a reckless and relentless pursuit of God. All those things are there. It's It's all available to us. God made him ruler over his people Israel. And look what he says in verse 8. I have been with you wherever you've gone. And I cut off your enemies from before you and made you a name like the name of great men who are on the earth. He said, man, I made you everything you are. I gave you every victory you have. The victory over Goliath. The strength to make a stand with Goliath that nobody else had. That was a gift from God. Wasn't it? All from him. In Ephesians chapter 2, doesn't the Lord tell us the same thing? For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man will boast. How did you get saved? Because of some great thing that you had to bring to the table? Is it because you pray more than everyone else? Or you read your Bible more than everyone else? Or is it because God gave you grace the same way he gives anyone else grace? The same all the way across remembering where we come from why why is that important because if we're going to have a reckless pursuit of god a relentless pursuit of the lord then we have to realize what we've been saved from so that we can give ourselves away to what god has to do with us next but if we don't know that that's why the bible tells us folks that the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom because if we don't know that if we don't see that If we don't recognize that, what are we going to do? In the scripture, the Lord said, God, teach us. He laid out for us to teach us to number our days. Why? That we might apply the heart of wisdom for what? To redeem the time. Everybody gets one life, right? They're not all the same, right? Length. To some servants, the Lord gave five talents. To some two. To some one. Agreed? Every life, everybody gets one. Some longer than others. That's not important. What'd you do with it? What'd you do with it? Did you just take it and bury it? Or do you spend it on Him? In the pursuit of Him? seeking him wanting to know him this is what what he's telling david is to tell him stay remember who you are remember that you are a sinner that that has been saved by the grace of god and then it is the love of christ that compels us that love that he first loved us with right it wasn't we loved him first he loved us first And it's that love then and understanding that love that compels us, that energizes us, that calls us to move on. To do the things God's asking us to do. 
the things that he's calling us, the directions in which he's, he's directing us. He said in verse 9, Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people. Who picked the fact that you live here? Was that you? Are you the ruler of your own destiny? God said, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel. I will appoint a place. He also said, and I will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. I want you to hear the promise that God just gave them. He's saying, I am going to appoint you a place and plant you in a place that nobody will ever take you out of ever again. One day I'm going to put you where you're going to be and you'll be safe there forever. Well, he's talking about, as he builds on this concept, he's talking about when the Lord reigns, when God's their king. The millennial reign of Christ, nobody's ever going to touch them again. Nobody's ever going to hurt them. Nobody's ever going to attack them. Nobody's ever going to gain any ground on them because God is going to be their God and he will be their people. That's his promise to them. But God still plants us. He still puts us in the place he wants us to be. Oh, I desperately wanted to be involved in a different ministry, but gosh, this job I got keeps getting in the way. Who planted you there? Look around you and see instead of what you don't have or what you can't do, what you can do. Because that was the attitude that David had. This is what God's telling him. Since the time I commanded judges to be over my people, in verse 10, also I will subdue all your enemies. Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. David, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And he starts to talk about the household of David. And it shall be when your days are fulfilled and you must go to be with your fathers that I will set up your seed after you who will be of your sons and I will establish his kingdom. And he will build me a house, and I will establish his throne for how long? Forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son, and I will not take my mercy from him like I took it from him who was before you. Wow. You understand what that said? You know, Solomon... He was not like always on the up and up. You know that, right? Took, took a lot of wives and a lot of concubines. And in the end, he turned his heart away from the Lord. But what did God promise David? God promised David, I will not ever one day pull my mercy away from him. How many days did he deserve that mercy? None. How many days did he get it? All the days of his life. Do you ever wonder why God was so merciful with Solomon? Because he promised David, I'll be merciful to your... What would you... Is there a word you would rather hear from God about your children? Would you rather hear God say something else? I would, lo- I would be tickled to death to hear God say, Jackie, your son is going to walk with me. I'm going to establish him and I'll never turn my mercy away. Wow, that'd be great news. Wouldn't that be great news? That'd be so exciting. But even more so, he's talking about something else because he said, this kingdom that I'm talking about is a kingdom that will last how long? Forever. The kingdom of David did not last forever, folks. There's nobody on the throne of David right now. Well, except if you understand who the last king, the once and future king of Israel is. That's Jesus Christ. Listen, here's what the Bible told them. And here's what God's telling David. You're looking for someone who will be the seed of a woman who will come from Abraham's loins. He will be born out of the tribe of Judah and now they know he'll come through the line of David. 
See, in Genesis 3.15, you have the beginning of what's called the progressive revelation of God. The promise of a deliverer. Genesis 3.15. That's Adam and Eve time. Then in Genesis 22, you have a further promise that the Messiah, this promised one to deliver people from their sins, would not only be born of a woman, but would come from Abraham. He's more clearly defined in Genesis 22 when Abraham declared God will provide himself the sacrifice, that God will become our sacrifice, the sacrifice for our sins. He's then told through the prophecies of of, uh, Israel over each of his sons, he said that Judah, that's going to be the kingly line. And Shiloh, Messiah, will come through Judah. So now we have born of a woman, come through Abraham, God becoming the sacrifice through the tribe of Judah. Now we know not only is it in the tribe of Judah, a specific family. Whose family? David's. There's only one person whose king will, kingdom will be forever. It's Jesus Christ. Who is of the line of David, right? You read Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. Genealogy of Christ. What does it go back to? David. To Abraham. To Adam. Just like the progressive revelation of God delivering to us who the deliverer, the one who will save people from their sins. Where is he coming from? Where is he going to be? How is this going to happen? He said in verse 11, And it will be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed, singular, after you, who will be of your sons, the seed, the promised seed, the promised Messiah. I will establish his kingdom. Now, he will build me a house. He's talking about Solomon, one of his children. And I will establish his throne forever. But that can't be Solomon, right? And I will be his father and he will be my son. You ever heard that phrase? Jesus said God was his father and he was the son. You'll hear similar things in Psalm 2. I will be his father, he will be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him. And I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne will be established forever. The ultimate fulfillment of the line of David being established forever. It's a promise of the Messiah, Jesus. According to all these words and according to all these visions, so Nathan spoke to David. So you might imagine that David might be a little disappointed. Don't you think? Man, I want to build God a house. He's stoked about building God a house. The next day, the guy comes, Nathan comes to him and says, you can't build God a house. You might be bummed. You ever been bummed when God told you no? Lord, I just want to marry this person. They'd be the greatest thing ever. God, you just got to work it out so I can marry him. Have you ever had God tell you no and been bummed? Oh, come on, God. I want you to look at what David, what David did. David did not slump away he made a choice to sit down at the feet of God look at it then King David went in and sat before the Lord you ever been somewhere where you didn't quite understand what God was doing or why God might be saying no David went into the presence of God and sat down before the Lord now if you think that David had some special deal where God hung out in his palace somewhere and David walked in and there was God sitting in David's palace and David sat before the Lord. If you think that's how it was, you're crazy. He's not the high priest. He can't walk into the Holy of Holies. He can't sit before the ark. He went where he could worship and he sat down before the Lord. And he quieted his spirit and he reached out sought the lord sought the lord in prayer sought the lord in worship sought the lord look listen to what he said he sat down he quieted his soul he sat before the lord just like mary and he said who am i 
O Lord God, and what is my house that you brought me this far? In other words, God, you don't owe me nothing. Sometimes I think we spend a lot of our life thinking God somehow owes us something. That he's God and he owes us a good life, a nice house, uh, health. He owes me something. God don't owe us nothing. At all. That's why it's important to always know where you came from and what God's done and to count your blessings. And to name them. And to know and realize all the things that God does for us. So we don't become spoiled little children who think, I need one more thing from God. He said, who am I, God? You brought me this far. You've been with me. You don't owe me anything. You don't owe me nothing. You don't owe me an explanation. But you gave me one. When David sits at the feet of the Lord, I want you to realize he is both enlightened and encouraged. We make that same choice when we're facing those things to say, you know what, I'm not going to slump. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to wander around moaning and complaining. I'm just going to sit at the feet of God. And David said, who am I? You don't owe me nothing, Lord. You don't owe me nothing. And he was enlightened and encouraged how was he enlightened you keep your finger right here and turn the page first chronicles 22 7 first chronicles 22 7 now david is talking to solomon now we're reading the story of when god shared things with david i want you to hear what god enlightened david with this is what god said to david that we won't read in the section we're in now in First Chronicles 22, 7. David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the Lord, the word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But behold, a son will be born to you who will be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. And he will build the house for my name. And he shall be my son, and I will be his father. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. And now, my son, may the Lord be with you. May you prosper. Build the house of the Lord your God, as he has said to you. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding, give you charge concerning Israel, that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. For then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and judgments with which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Hey, David has been enlightened. Enlightened because in the presence of God, not only do we recognize why we should fear him, but we also understand I don't have to. I don't have to because he said, do not be afraid. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far I've removed your transgression from you. Don't be afraid or dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Whatever you do. As we consider and as we see this sitting down and being enlightened, he also gives him encouragement in, uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. So again, just turn a couple more pages to the right. 2 Chronicles 6, 8. But the Lord said to my father David, so this is Solomon talking at the dedication of the temple. The Lord said to my father David, whereas it was in your heart to build the temple for my name, you did well in that it was in your heart. The encouragement God gave David is he said, hey David, man, thanks for thinking about me. Isn't that a nice thing to hear from God? 
That's the encouragement he got. The enlightenment that he got was your son's going to build the temple. And you can't, you're a man of war, he'll be a man of peace. So David instructed his son. He was enlightened and he was encouraged. Why? Because he sat at the feet of God. He didn't complain. He didn't whine. He didn't run around and pout. He just sat at the feet of God. And God delivered those things to him. In verse 17 he said, And yet, this was a small thing in your sight, O God. You have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and have regarded me according to the rank of a man of high degree. Now, we see not only David sits at his feet, but then he focuses on the blessing and not on the bummer. Do you get it? He doesn't focus on, I don't get to build the temple. He focuses on, man, you're, you're establishing my house that the throne will last forever. That Messiah is going to come through me. What an honor. What an honor. He's focused on the blessing. Do we focus on the blessing? Or do we just focus on the fact that God said no about something? See, David sits at his feet and he focuses on the blessing, not on the bummer. And then he praises him until he doesn't have any more words to say. What more can David say to you for the honor of your servant? For you know your servant. Basically he's saying, words fail me. Words fail me. And he goes on, O Lord, for your servant's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness and making known all these great things. O Lord, there is none like you, nor is there any God beside you according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth, whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for yourself a name by great and awesome deeds, by driving out nations from before the people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. For you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. And now, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, let it be established forever. And do as you have said. So let it be established that your name may be magnified forever. Saying, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is Israel's God. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build him a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray before you. See, focus on the blessing. He don't even mention that I don't get to build the house. He just focused on the blessing. You know, if we choose... An attitude of gratitude, you know how much that changes your day? Take it from a sourpuss. I am the original uh, glass half empty guy. And actually, it's kind of interesting. We, since it's about me, I can tell you. Um, we did recently, we did Life Healing Choices, a, a men's group going through Life Healing Choices. And God was really working on me about this attitude that I have. Pretty funny. Well, it's not funny, but it's it's funny what happened. So I'm just sharing with some of the guys, you know. And I'm saying, man, Lord's just really been telling me, I've got to work on this sarcasm. And i got to work on this this negativity that I have. And about three seconds later, I said something sarcastic and negative. And they all started laughing. And they said, man, you didn't even make it. You, you almost didn't finish the sentence before you were negative and sarcastic again. I said, I know, you got to pray for me. I got my work cut out for me. If I, when I change that attitude, when I just make the, the choice, you know, I'm just going to be happy. I'm going to pretend to be Pollyanna for a minute, and I'm only going to see all the good, and I'm not going to see the bad. You know that I smile more, I feel better. Things look better. We don't got to stay like we are. Just because that's how I am, that doesn't mean that's how God wants to leave me, does it? Hey, and in about the time you think you don't have one of those things that God needs to work on you, <laughs> yeah, you keep running like that. Let me know how long it is before the two by four comes. 
God's always working in us all to help us grow, to be more like him, right? We haven't arrived until you see Jesus face to face. Then you're there. Until then, there's stuff God wants to do and he wants to establish. I want to have that kind of attitude where David is just praising God for the good things. For the good things. I, I coach with Tracy Vogelmeyer. I, I laugh often because when kids are complaining all the time, he says, yeah, that, that kid's a complainer. He complained about getting hung with a new rope. And it makes me laugh. He probably would. I don't want to be like that. I want to see the blessing. I want to focus on the blessing, not the bummer. And that's what David does. And then verse 26, he holds on to the promises of God. Look, and now, Lord, you are God and have promised this goodness to your servant. He just grabs hold of the promise. You grab a hold of the promises of God? Do you? Because there's a lot of them in the Word. You grab a hold of those promises, hold them tight. For now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue before you forever. For you have blessed it, O Lord, and it shall be blessed forever. Last thing David did, we, we can't even read about it in verse in chapter 17. It's about chapter 22. David didn't complain about what he couldn't do. He just did what he could. Didn't complain about what was no. He just did what he could. What do I mean? How do you think Solomon built the temple? Where did he get the gold? Where did he get the lumber? Where did he get the building materials? David couldn't build it, but it didn't stop him from amassing the wealth and the tools and the materials so it could be done. God said, you can't build it, but he didn't say I couldn't be any part of it. So he just started gathering, started raising the money, started bringing the wood, started bringing the stone, started bringing the gold, started bringing the silver, and just heaping it up and saying, well, my son's going to know what to do with it. He didn't complain about what he couldn't do. He did what he could. That's how I want to be. I want to have a relentless pursuit of God. I want to have a reckless pursuit of God. I'm kind of done with the whole safe thing. I don't know where that all came. I always liked that line. I don't know if you guys ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. But whenever they came to meet Aslan, you guys remember Aslan? The question would always be asked. Actually, it's asked in several of the books. Is he safe? And the answer is always the same. No, he's a lion. He's not safe, but he's good. I just want to cling to the goodness of God and not worry about safe and prudent. And I just want to be responding and reacting to what his spirit's doing. And in order to do that, I've got to kind of say, I've got to be willing to say... I want this to be the mind I have. You see, the whole book of Philippians is about that. The whole book of Philippians is about change your mind and God will change your heart. But God said, I'm not going to change your mind. You've got to do that. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Feel, feel free to read them. It begins with this phrase. Let this mind be in you. What's that mean? Who chooses? You do. Let this mind be in you. That attitude, man after God's own heart, relentless pursuit of God, seeking Him, finding Him, not being afraid to praise Him and glorify God, not being afraid to be undignified if it brings honor to Him, not just to be undignified, because that doesn't bring honor to anybody. It's being undignified for Him. That's the difference. Allow God to do the things God wants to do in our lives. Because there's so much He wants to do, right? Do we really think that, that we are experiencing the fullness of what God has? If we're not experiencing the fullness of all that God has, then perhaps 
perhaps we need to change our mind and watch God do his thing. He's a great God. Not safe, but he's good. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father,